if you want to invest in something, you invest into yourself. Mm-hmm. You go after things that you believe will better your own self and you make decisions around that instead of trying to rely on others because if you're not investing in yourself, who's going to do that? Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, for all my fix and flippers out there, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by lowering your loan payments to the bank or maybe your private lender? Well, our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, you know Patch of Land, they've been on the show, representatives of their company have been on the show many times, they've been a sponsor of this show many, many times, they're back for more because they love you and they love working with the best ever listeners and they've got an interesting point of view on interest rates and that is that it's the interest rates that we are quoted shouldn't necessarily be taken at face value because perhaps a higher interest rate could actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan and they have a white paper on how that is possible and how that can be applied to your fix and flip business to help your bottom line get more profitable and to help you choose the best uh, lender for your financing needs. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless, and they've got a white paper for you, and it will walk you through the way to evaluate interest rates in terms in general on your loan so that you truly are getting the best interest rate. Because there are some tricky things some lenders try to do to um, glaze over the fact that they're lower interest rate, quote unquote, is actually higher based on some technical things that they put into it. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and get that white paper so that you can save money on your fix and flip projects. Patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Kurt Bush, how you doing, Kurt? I'm doing great, man. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, my pleasure. And holy cow, looking forward to diving in. I mean, a little bit about Kurt in case you're living under a rock. Kurt is a 27-time race winner in NASCAR's Sprint Series Cup. He is the winner of the Daytona 500, and he won that in 2017. And probably most relevant to you, best ever listeners, he is a self-made millionaire by developing his racing brand based in Las Vegas, Nevada. So with that being said, Kurt, what is it like driving 200 miles an hour? Oh, that's my favorite part of my job is uh, <laughs> the, the Friday afternoons. We go out there for the first practice session. And when you hit the track and go 200 and going down into that corner, it, that's that exhilaration. That's that speed. That's that feel in the body that you can't replicate that anywhere else. And so it's great to be teamed up with a top tier team in NASCAR with Stuart Haas Racing. To have Ford as my primary sponsor with the manufacturer side of it, that's the best feeling is to go 200 miles an hour into the corner. And it's that cool experience as well that I get to talk to the kids about and the families about how it is to be a NASCAR driver. What do you focus on when you're driving that speed? The focus is the handling of the car, all four tires as far as how it grabs the racetrack. And you're one with the car to feel the handling of the car. Then you have the aerodynamics. Then you get into the harmonics and the feel of the engine. Then once you get into the race itself, now you're worried about air pressure, 
fuel mileage. There's so many different things that you get to juggle. And really, there's no comparison to being in that race for the 500 miles. So it's the best feeling in the world. You go 200 and you got all these responsibilities. How do you focus on winning when you've got these other variables that are all important, it sounds like, that you've got to pay attention to? How do you focus on actually being number one? Well, that's my job. You, you have to be in the zone to know all the different categories of the race strategy, the different changing conditions out on the racetrack, and ultimately putting yourself in position for the win. And that's done with preparation. That's done with teamwork. It's the experience level that I have, but also it's the team and the people that I've surrounded myself with because you can't do it alone. There's no single individual that's going to bring the win. It's everybody. When you're in that zone and it's towards the end of the race and you've put yourself in that position, that's my time. That's my job is to execute and to be making those decisions that are ahead of the other guys and to make sure that you're that one step ahead, knowing that you've got your eyes on victory lane, but it's protecting it to keep it away from others. <laughs> mm -hmm. For a listener who might not be as familiar with the intricacies of racing, what is an example of a shift or a decision you made towards the end where you made it to victory lane and it was a result of that decision? Most recently, I can give you a quick example. We set a track record at Texas Motor Speedway for the fastest qualifying time on a mile and a half track. I saw that. It was Congrats. on average over 200 miles an hour, average. <laughs> and it was cool because there was a couple kids that were standing there on pit road that were family members of one of the crew guys. And I kind of gave them that wink. I said, you know, we're going to go over 200 miles an hour today. And they're like, whoa, you know, they were all just like in this moment of, he just acknowledged us. And then I was like, guys, here's what I got to do. And to answer your question, it was to find that one moment and that feel Literally, I'm going full throttle into turn three, and I felt like the first few corners were perfect. And I'm like knowing that I'm digesting this moment of I've got this perfect lap going. But here was my plan. I'm in the sunshine in turn three, and you're going full throttle, and the cars are starting to drift away. It's starting to slide up. But I knew that in turn four, the shade, the grandstands were blocking the sun, and therefore I was going to find grip out of the turn four area to be able to keep it full throttle and not wash up the racetrack and lose speed. So I was actually using weather, using the sun angle, using the shade for the grip level to complete the lap. And that's something that maybe not a lot of drivers would gamble with or been able to have predicted or to be able to have that in their toolbox when it comes to finding that last bit of success. Wow, that's fascinating. So if the sun is blocked, then sometimes you can get more grip with the tires on the track? Yeah, I don't want to get too many secrets out there, but you know, <laughs> the drivers know uh, that the, the shade and the conditions when you have cooler rock conditions, you're going to gain more grip. But now it's like, man, when you're going there and you're sliding, you're like, oh no, I have to lift. I'm going to yeah. wreck. No, you got to trust that the grip comes to you. You just got to trust that it's going to happen. On that trust that's going to happen based on previous experiences and just studying, how have you applied that towards business? Well, there's different patterns. There's the constant desire to succeed. Mm -hmm. And quite simply, if there's a race to win, if there's a check out there to go and cash, you want to do your best job to go and get it. 
But as far as the business side of it and succeeding, I was told in an early age, if you want to invest in something, you invest into yourself. Mm-hmm. You go after things that you believe will better your own self and you make decisions around that instead of trying to rely on others. Because if you're not investing in yourself, who's going to do that? Mm-hmm. What are some ways that you invest in yourself? It's a workout regimen. It's a nutrition regimen. It's that desire to achieve success and to go after every day with that open mind of what can happen today. What can I achieve? What do I need to accomplish? And it's that constant, everything's good, but I have to go and achieve it. And I have to apply that value of the work ethic that I learned from my father each and every day. Success doesn't take a day off. Let's just go that way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. As far as the work ethic, walk us through a typical day. And typical is always a tricky word because there might not be a typical day. But I'd love to learn more about the work you put in on a daily basis, if you can describe that in some way. Each day is different. There's the Friday, Saturday, Sunday around race weekend. And that's a compartmentalized effort on what has to happen there. Travel days, those are different on where we have to go for our next race. And then days off from the NASCAR circuit are days applied to my personal business at Kurt Busch Incorporated. Then it's to the workout regimen with the different trainers that I have here in North Carolina. I have trainers down in Florida where my wife plays polo and she has her trainers that we work with and we keep it moving around and shaking because you don't want to get stagnant in your workouts. It's honestly just a nice schedule to where my assistant Christy knows that this has to be done here and she helps me get to there. And it could just be a simple one moment throughout the day where you know that there's that difference maker and you apply it each and every day. There's not anything specific. There's not a typical day, but you have to, again, surround yourself with people that are successful and they help me do my job. And that is to stay focused on what I've got to do to help them be successful. It's creating that aura and that element of when you have success around you, you want to keep that going and you find good people to do that. Mm -hmm. When having people around you who are successful, how do you approach that? Basically, how do you pick your peer group is, is the question. That is a good question. And I like that. And to answer that, you find trustworthy people. You find people that have those same common goals and the work ethic as well. I think the work ethic is the key element in finding successful people. It's the guys that show up half hour early. It's the ones that stay an hour late. It isn't necessarily just a time clock type of situation. Those, I think, are the people that make a big difference in my life because we're always juggling things here and there and everywhere. And it's disappointing when you call somebody at 501 and they've already checked out. You know? It's ridiculous. That's not how the world works. Or it shouldn't be. It is, but it's, it shouldn't be, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a small difference maker, I think. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Kurt Busch Incorporated. That's your company, correct? Yes, sir. How do you make money with that company? For me, we've got different sectors, categories, whether it's the transportation side of things, whether it's the aviation side. The biggest thing here at Kurt Busch Incorporated is we're able to help people with their private car collection. Something we don't really advertise a lot because we want to give that white glove service to our clients. And it's to take 
people's vehicles, whether they buy them at an auto auction like Barrett Jackson, whether it's word of mouth, there's different athletes and clients that we have that have spread the word around on how we can help them with their vehicle. And it's to provide that white glove service to take their car and honestly, just make sure that it's at that top operating performance Mm. as well as safety items too. Because when you buy a car at an auction, it's not going to be that perfect vehicle until it comes by our shop to make sure that it's at that operating level. Things that we're trying to work on in the future is different developmental projects with an OEM partner. I work with Ford and we want to have like an F-150 type package or a Mustang package. There's going to be different things that we do with the auto manufacturer because frankly, we're able to do so many different vehicles, they can do tens of thousands of vehicles. So that's the next step for our company. And the acronym OEM stands for? With the OEM, it's the original equipment manufacturer. Okay, got it. That's Ford, Dodge, Chevrolet, Toyota. An OEM partner, original equipment manufacturer, that's when you're really tying it into the acronym of that manufacturer Mm -hmm. and the car world, that's when you're trying to work with the different products that those guys provide. How do you decide where you spend your time from a business standpoint because you've got the racing thing and then you've got your company and I I know there's overlap but you do have separate arms of that that you just described so how do you decide where to put your focus honestly it comes from my heart but I know that in my wallet or on the business sense of it there's a percentage of time that needs to be spent in certain categories that are more beneficial than others. But ultimately, when you're working and one thing bridges to the next and you find that reason for the time that you have to spend in certain categories. I mean, it could even be a golf outing that is planned where you bring in certain business partners, share that time together, and then you're at a cocktail hour and you're looking at what's going to happen to the next bit of time, but the next bit of contracts And it's about the people again, the people that you're spending the time with. It's like, okay, you're going here, you're going there, make things happen. And at the end of the day, it's because you believe in your heart that you're making the right decisions. So again, there's not one single day or a typical moment that you follow. It's that pattern that's all around you that just happens in the NASCAR world and in my business world. You're a self-made millionaire. And when some listeners hear that, I imagine they think, I want in on that. I want to be a self-made millionaire too. What is your advice for them for how to go about doing that? I would say persistence is how I've ended up in the spot that I'm in. I'm very confident in what I've done and the decisions that I've made. But ultimately, it came through the persistence side of you meet this person and you see the category that that can lead you to. Racing... There's no like step ladder that you have to just follow. Let's just take, for example, in basketball, kids pick up a basketball. They're with their buddies. They're playing. Next thing you know, they're in high school ball. If you're in high school ball, you're trying to get to college. College ball, you want to get to the NBA. In racing, it's not necessarily this step ladder is going to take you to that or it's going to take you to this. But what I did early on in my career, it was to take the feel of racing, that business side of it, and blend those two together. And the opportunities came when I knew that uh, I was struggling in college, literally. 
the books were on the back seat of my car as I'm driving to the next race. Everybody's like, man, you got to study more. It's racing thing. It's taking over your life too much. And you got to give that up. You got to get back to the books. You got to focus. That even happened at one of my first jobs. People were telling me, man, this racing thing and the way that you're so focused on it, it's taking away from your focus at work and your work ethic. But when those things start to take over, when people are telling you that, that's when I knew that I had the desire that was so laser focused on the racing side of it, that that's really what is that persistence of trying to race and trying to do this and meet the next person and move here and shake there. And it told me that that's what I was the best at. That's that persistence of when people are telling you this, do that, and yet you know where you're focused in on. That's my advice. That is the next level of when it takes over your life, that's when you know you've got to go that route. I love that. Your first job, what was it? My first job, my dad was like, hey, you know what? What do you need to live in life? What's the most important thing? I'm like, "Um, money? Uh, He goes, no, no, no. What's the most important, let's just say, thing here at the house? And I'm like, Dad, what are you getting at? You know, like, it's nice that the lights come on. Yeah, I have no, I have no clue what he's getting at. <laughs> Electricity. What, what's the most important thing? He goes, water. All right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That is the bare essential <laughs> that we need to all live with. And he goes, yeah, you should be a plumber. I've got a guy that, that, that's going to help you get to your first job. You're going to be a plumber. I went, oh, I see what he was getting at. That was my first job. I was a plumber. Wow. From plumbing to racing full-time, or was there some stops in between? The plumbing thing was just honestly just to, to get some cash and to learn how to, to take orders, take direction, to be an employee. But man, it was racing, racing, racing all the time. Got it. So it was the plumbing, and then eventually it was all racing. There wasn't another maybe electricians or something else in between like that. No, it really was the business side of racing. You're in sales, you're in technology, you're in management. There's so many different categories that as a young racer, I was not fully comprehending everything around me, but I was learning all those different traits. And I think that's what's helped me digest all the different categories to be successful and to be able to say that I'm a self-made millionaire, so to speak. It truly is fascinating because you just said something I wasn't consciously aware of in the technology part of your business as an entrepreneur is very prevalent in your industry. Whereas when I talk to former NFL players, NBA players, it's a ball. There's no technology involved there. And if they're venturing outside of NBA or NFL, but still within their sport, then there's not a technology component unless they do something online or something like that. But with you, it's completely integrated throughout. So you do have to have another skill set that, in my opinion, isn't as typical for an athlete that needs to have. So it's sales, technology, and management. Which area would you say was your weakest starting out, and what was a mistake that you made within that category? Yeah. In racing, you start out because you're at that elementary level, you have a tape measure. And nowadays you have your laptop with simulation models and you're plugging in algorithms and equations to arrive at the best setup as far as what you're going to apply to the car. That's a quick timeline of how you have to adapt 
it simply keeps continuing to evolve. And I think that's what everybody sees in their lives as well, is if you don't evolve, then you're going to get left behind. To answer your question, I think I'm the weakest in people management area. Mm-hmm. I think that with the job and the world and the, the lifestyle that I live and what's required of me, being here, being there, taking care of that project, going 200 miles an hour, this, that, it's a matter of making sure that I create that formal management style and to be able to have that human resources type attitude, that's something that's difficult because of the moving and the shaking that always happens around the business that I'm in. So I would say the management side is the weakest area. Is there something where that not being your strongest has burned you in the past? It might have not burned me, but it might have stunted some of the growth mm-hmm. and the ability to capitalize on other categories. And being able to take a foundation that's sitting there and the success from the racing and the different wins, how do we go bigger? How do we make it greater? How do you become that top A-plus level? I think that that's where I've had great success. I'm proud of what I've done. I wouldn't change anything. There's the bumps in the road that everybody goes through. Mm-hmm. But could I have been that top A-plus level? That's still what I'm trying to achieve and to do. And that might have been some of the categories where there wasn't a full fulfillment. And what do you do to optimize that part of the process to then make it more of a strength on the level of the sales and technology part? I think, again, it gets back to the people that you surround yourself with. And there's only literally 24 hours in a day. There's only so much that can be done. And you have to put people in certain categories, places, and let them strive and make you better and bring more out within you as you're putting them into position for success. I asked this question to all guests, and this is knowing that the audience, people listening, best ever listeners, they're primarily real estate investors, but we're all entrepreneurs. As real estate investors, we're an entrepreneur. As a winner of the Daytona 500, you're also an entrepreneur with your business. So here's the question. What is your best advice ever for real estate investors and entrepreneurs? You know, that's the age old question on when you have real estate or you have the ability to make money in real estate, or you're looking to go into that sector, or if you're a top person in real estate, business developer, whether it's commercial, residential, the way that I have seen the most success happen is you have all the different layers taken care of. So if you're a business, you use a different business or an LLC to buy the lot. That way you own the piece of real estate. Then you have a different business that creates the building, the structure itself to be able to make the money. And that way you don't have all your eggs in one basket. And now that you've got that piece of real estate, you've got the business going. Then once you've got the business going, now you're looking at the next piece of real estate and how to flip and grow and go from there. But you're in all the different categories. You have it at the land, you have it on the business side. We asked the best ever listeners if they had any questions for you, and we got a bunch of them, but I've narrowed it down to just a handful, handpicked. So we're going to go into the lightning round. Your questions don't have to be lightning quick, but it's just I just call it the lightning round just because it sounds cool. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Oh yeah, bring it. All right, cool. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. 
They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin' Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellin.com forward slash show. That's D-W-E-L-L-Y-N-N.com forward slash show. All right, Kurt. Here we go. Let's see. This one is from Stan in Portland, Oregon. Does being one of the best drivers in the world affect how you react when in traffic with us normal folk? <laughs> Thank you for the compliment. But uh, in all honesty, my wife says I drive like a grandpa. So I <laughs> that confidence out on the roadway that I'm a good driver. But the key on the regular roadways, look ahead. Be able to predict when that light's going to turn red, and that way you're already in position for success. Is that applicable to racing at your level too? That's one of the first things that my dad taught me was to look ahead, be able to predict what's going to happen Know to keep your momentum up. That way you're not just hard on the brakes to stop for that red light that's coming up. That way you go, oh, look, it's going to turn green now and be able to accelerate through. And you've now saved yourself some fuel mileage. I'm going to the racing part. When you're racing and you're just starting out and the advice from your dad is look ahead and that will help you predict what will happen. When you're just starting out, how do you have the experience to predict what will happen while you're looking ahead? It is difficult. You have to find those small different difference makers and it takes mistakes to be able to realize that. It'd be just as simple as, oh man, I really thought that light was going to turn green and then the next thing you know, it didn't and boom, now you're right on top of that guy in front of you. And the key bit of advice that my dad taught me, or that could be applicable to this question in this situation is you can't stare at your front bumper when you're driving. You have to look further out. You have to digest things in your peripheral vision, which is to be able to absorb your surroundings and make better decisions that way. If you're too laser focused on one issue, you're not seeing what's around you. Mm. Let's see. This is kind of a long one. This is Jason in Chicago. He says, maybe your Wikipedia page does this or your bio or something. He says, your bio says, revered as a driver that is highly technical and demands the best from his team. Kurt is known for raising the bar for everyone around him, from mechanics to crew chiefs, partners in NASCAR and industry as a whole. And the question is, what is an example of this? Well, it's being able to go to that next level. If you get complacent, you're only going to get those complacent results. So within that definition and what he's asking is that I strive to bring out the best in the people around me. And when you do that with people, they're going to bring out the best in you. So if you find results that aren't the results that you want, it's a matter of going after the next step and trying to help that person or have that person help you find that next best result. And it's done through communication. It's done through the ability to reach out 
and connect with somebody and bring that next level out of them. Christina in San Jose, what are you most proud of? What am I most proud of? I think it's a fact that life around me and the people that are around me are my favorite things. It's to be able to wake up and go, you know, I, I nice house, nice car, but it's the people that I know that are on my favorites list on my phone and the chance to go to lunch with somebody or to go to dinner and to spend that time or be able to go on a ski vacation with somebody and those are those close family members or friends. Those are the things that I'm the most proud of. And this is Chris in Boston. What are your five to 10 year goals? To finish up strong in my NASCAR career is the number one goal to start a family with my wife, Ashley, to have children and to be able to show those experiences and share those experiences with my young ones and to have the business side of things where the runway is extended beyond NASCAR racing and to do things with the manufacturers, with my different sponsors, Monster Energy, we're always having fun and just being able to use the experience and the PhD that I've experienced in the NASCAR business world and to do it outside of that. What's the best ever way you like to give back? A time with the military, time with those who have fought for our freedoms, all different branches of the military, Air Force, Army, Marines, the Navy, all the different branches of people that have provided for our freedom. It's so easy for me to just go by and, and say thanks to them whether it's at our coffee shop here at Moose Lodge or if it's at the racetrack and we have the different top dignitaries that have come to enjoy the NASCAR experience, I just always go by to say thanks and mm -hmm. to appreciate the sacrifices that they've made. And lastly, what's the best place the best ever listeners can learn more about what you got going on? Oh, the best place? Uh, honestly, is the racetrack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to come and experience NASCAR, that's the best experience that you can get. You get the smell, you get the, the taste and the feel and the vibrations and the speed and the energy at the racetracks. That's What's it smell like? You know what? It smells like gas burning, smells like <laughs> tires burning. You smell that rubber. And then you got, to, of course, the midway action with the churros and oh yeah, eggs and <laughs> the, the whole hot dogs cooking. That's, that's the best atmosphere to do is come to the racetrack live. I haven't had lunch yet, and I'm starving now after that description from you. Well, Kurt, thank you for being on the show. This truly was a conversation about persistence, number one, the story with how your dad suddenly got around to you starting out as a plumber, and then your persistence in that job as you evolve in your career. You're really focused on racing, and I love the quote that you said is when people were telling you that – you were spending a little bit too much time on racing. Well, that was your thing. And that's really when, as any entrepreneur, if we're spending a lot of time on something, then that should be an indicator of us wanting to continue to do it because you get rewarded in public for what you do in private. That's something that Tony Robbins says and certainly applies here. And also people. This is a story about people, how you surround yourself with people, as you mentioned, who you trust based on experience and research. And then lastly, I'd say anticipation. I love the story about coming around that corner, blocking the sun, there's shade, and you can get more grip 
on the, your tires and the 200 mile an hours. You can still drive that in confidence versus thinking that you need to slow down a little bit. So anticipating it based on the trust and the research. So thanks for being on the show, Kurt. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Appreciate it again. And a subliminal message that I didn't even know that I was portraying when I was young. I put it on my resume. That objective in life to be in the top one percentile of whatever racing category I was going to get into. That works in every category. I love that. Thanks a lot, Kurt. You got it. Thanks, guys. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellyn.com forward slash show. That's dot com forward slash show.